Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. So Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea. Three points separate those teams, making the Women's Super League title race closer bigger and more unpredictable than ever. Who'll win the title? Which one of them will miss out on the Champions League? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. It is a crunch time for Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes knows how important it is to be consistent in the league and that league run. Pay Elisa Russo the money. She, she's she's a showstopper. What are we wasting time for? Yeah, I don't really have a lot of concerns about Arsenal being consistent for the end of the season. When you're losing players like Ellen White and Kira Walsh, and then I look at their replacements in Bunny Shaw and Hasegawa, it is either the best stroke of fortune I've ever seen, or it is the research and the, and the background checks that have gone into these players and how they would fit into the system was just phenomenal. Do you know what? I'm sorry, Gareth Taylor. I gave you a lot of hard stick before and actually I should have reined it in. All right, credit to you. Joining us for this one today, uh, The Athletic's women's football editor, Chloe Morgan, writer Charlotte Harper and host of The Athletic women's football podcast, uh, Lindsay Hooper. Lindsay, give me the top of the table, first of all, before we do anything else, because that seems the most appropriate place to start. Yeah, after the weekend, it's all changed, Chappers. So Manchester United are top on 38 points, also on 38 points, but with a significantly less goal difference uh, is Manchester City. So we've got two Manchester teams at the top. Chelsea, after the defeat to City at the weekend, dropped to third, but still have a game in hand, as do Arsenal, who are behind them in fourth and sit just outside of the top three, which is the Champions League places with 35 points. Uh, Okay, so context for this, Chloe, this has to be the most exciting run-in that the WSL has seen. I would definitely say so. Um, I mean, in previous years, we've kind of seen a two-horse race, maybe a three-horse race. But ultimately, I mean, this year we've got the big four, you know, with Manchester United sort of making their first real um, attempt at at the WSL title. I just think it makes for sort of a a much spicier year. And obviously, I mean, if they got it, if they won it, I mean, going from, you know, not existing five years ago to then winning a title in, in such a short space of time would be absolutely huge. But yeah, it's um, it's all to play for, and I think it's going to come down to that big weekend on the uh, on the twenty first of May when they all face each other. Yeah, I've got to paint a picture for you, chappers, of twenty fourteen, which I think is the closest it's ever been before, when no one expected Liverpool to get back to back titles that season. And I was I was hosting the WSL show at the time, and we had a trophy in the middle of a motorway, not knowing whether it was going to be Chelsea or Liverpool who would get the title. So I don't know what they're going to do with the motorway situation and the trophies and how many replicas we need if it could go four ways. (laughs) Well, I could do a whole thing on the state of the motorways there, but I I won't, (laughs) because I'll be an incredibly dull part of the podcast. Um, Charlotte, when you... um, 
what what's interesting with with the four at the side is they've all only lost two fixtures. Arsenal last season lost one and still didn't win the title. But the fact that they've only lost two each, when actually the competitive balance within the whole division feels stronger than it's ever been, says something about the form of all the four sides. Absolutely. We've always said that the WSL is one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive league in the world. So the fact that other teams are taking points off these top four but that kind of just adds the spice to it. I I do still think we have a significant gap in the sense that you've got the top four and then uh, we'll talk about Aston Villa later, what a season they've had as fifth. You've got then the relegation teams as well, but we saw Liverpool taking points off at Chelsea at the start of the season. So yes, this is the most competitive WSL title race we've seen. However, there is still a significant gap between those four pulling away it just on the and I want to delve into each team specifically during this pod that that's what we're going to do each of the top four but ju- just on that 21st of of May Chloe so that's the Manchester Derby with United at home to City and Chelsea are at home to Arsenal I, I actually don't where are those games taking place and is there any scope for the venue of those games to be changed to give a home team more advantage. For example, I don't know if United played City at Old Trafford, you're going to have a, a, a lot more rabid home fans. I would suggest making a lot more noise at Old Trafford than you are at the Lee Sports Village. As it stands, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I think the the game, the Man United derby, is still at Lee Sports Village. But I wouldn't be surprised if that would be changed. I know obviously Manchester United are doing quite a lot of quite a lot of stuff at Old Trafford uh, this season, which has obviously paid off quite a bit in terms of the marketing exposure that both teams have got. So, yeah, I mean, if it obviously does come down to that that final fixture, I would imagine that both games are going to be at the main stadium and I, I could appreciate that, you know, the crowds there are going to be absolutely phenomenal. There's a whole other dynamic that gets brought into play with this as well, which is that there are some teams like Manchester United, Chappers, that I think would prefer to be at the bigger stadia because we've seen how effective their home crowd have been. Whereas Emma Hayes has gone on record, she prefers playing at Kings Meadow. And then Aston Villa for sure they want to take the top teams to Warsaw. They want to be playing at the Bescott Stadium, making sure that it's not as nice a pitch. It's something for the top teams to have to adjust to. So they've all got their own incentives, I think, for wanting it at certain grounds, which is an interesting development because maybe in the future we won't have this. They won't have a say as to where it will be. But but it, it does, doesn't it, Charlotte? It does add an interesting tactical dynamic for clubs who have the option to use more than one ground? It's an interesting question, but I'm afraid to say I think the bottom line comes down to cost. Like it costs 25 grand to put a, a Chelsea home game on at King's Meadow. It costs about 500,000 uh, for Stamford Bridge. So the bottom line is huge. And, you know, you, you have to have a clear plan that if Manchester United are going to play at Old Trafford, they needed to be advertising that game at Old Trafford when they played West Ham to get people coming back and thinking, oh, yeah, Manchester Derby, that's in my head already. I know we've spoken about frozen pitches, we've spoken about the facilities. I think if Chelsea play against uh, Leon tomorrow night, Leon love that. Like, Swiss changing room, big stadium, wide pitches, Ada Hegerberg, Wendy Renard, 
they feel at home there. So that's they only play at Stamford Bridge because UEFA regulations stipulate it and Kings Meadow didn't fulfil the criteria for VAR, goal line technology, etc. Let's look at each of the each of the four teams in in order, shall we? We'll start with, with Manchester United, who do lead the table on goal difference. They've got a goal difference of of thirty three. Uh, Manchester City have a goal difference of twenty. They're both level on thirty eight points. Find it quite interesting with United in in that Chloe. There's there's always so much attention on on their attacking players, partly through what they did with 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 England and the Lionesses as well. But they've only conceded nine this season. I mean, it, d- defensively, they they are they are rock solid. Absolutely, I think. Uh, I mean, they've got the best defensive record in the WSL alongside Arsenal. I think only conceding uh, nine goals this season. I think it's not. It's not easy to see why. It's not hard to see why. I think when you kind of look at the fact they've got Mary Earps in goal, who's you know arguably one of the best goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper in the world, and the performances that she put in, you know, at the Euros were, were definitely a big part of why we won uh, last summer. But then also the back line as well. I mean, you've got to look at Onabaje, uh, Letizia, Blundell, uh, Turner. You know, and even the sort of defensive midfield with with Ladd and Zeller. I mean, you know, you're looking at that that lineup already, and you're thinking that in itself they're so cohesive, they're so strong. You know, you've also got the attacking presence of uh, Onabaje there. So it's um it's it's not it's not hard to see why they're they're doing so well defensively. They're they're incredibly robust. Charlotte, defensively, yes, secure. Although we did see uh, that United didn't cope with just Chelsea's long balls, and when you have someone like Sam Kerr. You just get in behind their defence and that was actually quite easy and they did that two or three times when they lost to Chelsea 1-0. The issue for me for Manchester United is the service to that front three. Like We know Alessia Russo, Ella Toon, Leah Golton, the talent that they have there, but they were really struggling in midfield to create the chances and the forward line were feeding off scraps. So that's my concern with Manchester United. Lindsay? It's been a bit of a surprise to me that Manchester United have kicked on so quickly. I remember last season covering them and they just were not getting any joy against any of the top sides in and around them. And I think Mark Skinner should take a lot of credit that there is far more resoluteness to this team. They they really do know how to see a game out now. And defensively, I think where they've shored up has actually been the most important. I know that we always talk about Ella Toon and Alessia Russo. I think Katie Zellum's been a star performer for them this season. But I actually actually think the clean sheets is what could possibly win them the title. Right now, I think the most interesting thing about them is their lack of injuries compared to some of the other big teams. So they started off the season without some key personnel. They've gradually brought them back as the season's gone on. And just at the time where they seem to have everyone, including Aoife Mannion now back available after an ACL injury, so they pretty much have that strength in depth. You look at Chelsea without Pinilla Harder, without Frank Kirby, question marks now over Millie Bright and Erin Cuthbert. They're certainly going to have to be managed in terms of overload. They have got a few more key injuries and I think that could play a huge part between now and the end of the season. I think really interesting, though, that Katie Zellum didn't make the England squad. Mm. So Wiegmann has gone for Laura Coombs at Manchester City uh, and Jordan Nobbs at Aston Villa in that midfield role. Uh, and I think that's where United lack the presence in a, in a midfield double pivot or with Hayley Ladd and Katie Zellum. Do they still, out of the four, because of their 
I was going to say history. You could argue lack of history, couldn't you, as well, really. Do they still, are they still the underdogs out of the four for you, Chloe? Do they view themselves as the underdogs? I think of the four. you would probably suspect that a lot of people would class them still as the underdogs because this is their first real um, chance at a WSL title. And, you know, before this, when we sort of look back at their record, they've always done, you know, really well in the WSL considering how, how new they are to the league. Um, you know, when I played them, you know, in the, in the championship, this is a fair few years back now, I mean, they absolutely destroyed the championship. They were runaway winners, went straight into the WSL, have done absolute business in there as well, keeping their, you know, not just, you know, they've never been part of a relegation back at all they've always been you know mid to top table you know never quite reached that Champions League spot either always been one point two points away and I think this is the first time you're starting to see um, you know people really sort of back them you know winning but also I think it's really hard to get away from the fact that Chelsea are just so consistent and they're sort of you know Emma Hayes keeps calling them mentality monsters even when they're having tough patches they still seem to grind out results so I think the favourites are probably still Chelsea but I think a lot of people just want to see something they want, they want to see a new winner and I think Manchester United just reflect that kind of freshness in there in, in keeping the WSL a little bit more exciting and lively. I tell you what, it's a good job I'm sitting down. I don't think I've ever done a podcast uh, where Manchester United are considered the underdogs and, <laughs> and, and considered popular amongst the neutrals. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, uh, we actually spoke to our Manchester United writer, Carl Anker, uh, and asked him, is there a player that maybe goes under the radar a little bit that we should know about, that we should be talking about? And this was his answer. You've got players like Leah Galton, Nikita Paris, and Luisa Garcia, who... It basically is the best attacking sub you can put in the WSL uh, to the point where she's so good, you're wondering why she is a substitute. Mark Skinner said uh, that Garcia didn't have a great game in the FA Cup quarterfinal against Luz, uh, and that's why he wants to get more of her across 90 minutes. But, um, I mean, she really should be given the keys to wide forward for this team. Uh, all the best to Mark Skinner and his side. Uh Pay Alyssa Russo the money. She, she's she's a showstopper. Like, what are we wasting time for? Come on, get on with it. Just before we come on to Alessia Russo, uh, then, just one, Charlotte, on what Carl said there about Luisa Garcia being the best attacking sub you can put in the WSL. Wow. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant at United there. In the WSL, best yeah. attacking sub. Um no, I think, you know, Chelsea have still got uh, Kankovic and Kanarid who come on um, and just add an extra element there. He is the Manchester United writer, though, Charlotte. He, is a, he isn't <laughs> going to be talking up to players from other teams. No, he isn't. But <laughs> best attacking sub in the WSI, I think that's a stretch. Lucia Garcia, yeah, she has a, a, a claim to make to start. She definitely adds pace in terms of and her width of her wing play. Um, but, you know, considering that United were set to lose Russo in the January transfer window, I think you still have to focus on Russo as your main threat. And she does. She does unsettle defence. And it's not just her goal-scoring potential. It's actually her hold-up play, um, which is so crucial to getting United involved. And, and dropping deep. Okay, she scored eight goals in 14 games, which isn't huge, but she's a big game player against big games. She scored the winner against Arsenal at the Emirates. Uh, she got on the score sheet against Chelsea when United lost 3-1 as well. So she's she is crucial to United's title hopes. 
So when Carl says, Chloe, just pay pay her the money, pay pay whatever she's worth, what are United wasting time for? That that does assume that um this is all on United's side, this negotiation. Yeah, I think um a large part of it's gonna come down to where United finish at the end of uh, end of this year. Um I think if they get that Champions League spot, if they finished first or second, I think, you know, Russo, you know, and I, d- I do think she has such a great relationship with Toon as well. And obviously Toon signed a, a new contract. So I do think that's going to play a bit of a factor. And she's obviously getting, you know, so much game time at, at, at Manchester United. So I do think Manchester United have now got to put their money where their mouth is. I don't think their budget is necessarily as high as the other the other um, WSL clubs. I know Chelsea and Arsenal, obviously quite interested. Arsenal making the, the bid for her in, in January, which was sort of the record um, um, alleged £500,000 transfer fee, which would have been absolutely wild, and, and rightly so. But I do I do think Manchester United, if they want to keep her, are going to have to put their hands in their pockets. They're very deep pockets, which they're, they've not been really accessing before. So, yeah, um, you know, being WSL title contenders is, um, is expensive business. There's probably an argument there, Chloe, to say that they've already put the money down. But... In, in a stranger way by refusing the money from Arsenal and, and hanging on to her. I think that was a huge move. Um, I think Polly Bancroft coming in now, heading up women's football at Manchester United is huge for them because her her credentials are fantastic. She came from Brighton. She gets it. She also knows that this is a club that has to make strides to, to look like they're going forwards, not going to be a selling club, for instance. And I thought that was a huge statement when they refused the money from Arsenal, knowing that there was only a few months to go on the contract. She was up in the summer anyway. I I think that was them saying to the rest of the world, we are not here to sell and we are here to compete and we're going to be competing for the foreseeable future. So they might not have forked out loads and loads of money yet, but I I think that's probably the next step for them in the summer transfer window is to strengthen and and to hold on to Russo would be number one on that list. What was really interesting, um, you know, the Deloitte Football Money League report, which came out um, at the start of this year, is that United made the most money of any English women's team during the 2021-2022 season. So they generated a revenue of six million euros, and that was without qualifying for the Champions League last year. How? How did they do that then? Because they don't spend money supposedly on their contracts. Again, considering that a large bulk of their squad was brought in by Casey Stoney. And if they're at the end of their, towards their three-year contracts, if you compare what they were on three years ago compared to now, and throughout that time they're still on that wage, then, and the game, the game has grown in terms of, we've seen it with the popularity, then the wage bill is just increasing astronomically. But compared to three years ago, it's a tiny proportion. I think that's something that Manchester United are going to have to look out for at the end of uh, each season. Because I think, obviously, what they've done is amazing. They've sort of had these players that have been with them for a long period of time, but they've also increased massively in stock value. So, you know, you look at the likes of Tier, you look at the likes of Russo, and after the summer, I mean, they would have doubled, tripled, quadrupled in what they were worth when they first signed those contracts. So I think, yeah, if Man United are going to retain those players, I mean, on a bad share as well, you know, up in the up in the summer too. So I'm hearing that sort of Polly Bancroft and, and Mark Skinner are working hard to try and make sure that those contracts are secured at the end of the season a large part of it's going to be to do with where they finish but a large part of it's going to be to do with the money and what they're being offered elsewhere so yeah Manchester United uh, whilst they're sort of maybe one of the more um, profitable clubs at the moment could could easily see that um, you know going downhill in the next couple of years as their players continue to to increase in value 
Man United ownership spend money? Surely not. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, <laughs> let's move on to uh, to Manchester City, shall we? we? We wouldn't. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation or doing the pod, Charlotte, if City hadn't beaten Chelsea last time out, because that's what's blown the title race wide open, isn't it? Definitely. As soon as Manchester City won that game against Chelsea, yeah, it was a, a turning point. Gareth Taylor knew that they had to win that game and he said that they have to win every game uh, in his pre-match press conference. He was, he was very clear about it. 21 points, seven games, now that they won against Chelsea, takes us to 56. That's what Chelsea won the league with last season. Um, but of course, Chelsea have a game in hand. And so if they win all their games, then they can still top the table and it is very much in their control. But what a win for City against Chelsea. And, and you know, it's it's not a script. This is not theatre, it's football, which is, which is really exciting because we have no idea which way it's going to go. Is it time to give Gareth Taylor a little bit of credit here, Lindsay? As he he seems, he probably seems out of all of the four managers, the one who has been the more maligned. Yeah, I think from the beginning of the season, when they had those two defeats in a row, many people ruled them out. And I think tactically, Gareth, when we've been doing a lot of analysis on Sky Sports, I think he has come under some scrutiny for not affecting things as much, not making the changes when he needed to, certainly in the beginning stages of the season. But as the season has gone on and as some of his key personnel have grown with the team in terms of incomings, I think they've really found their stride. Uh, I think recruitment at Manchester City, I don't know how much of a say that Gareth Taylor has in that, but wherever that's been, those conversations and that business is being done, they deserve a lot of credit because when you're losing players like Ellen White and Kira Walsh, um, and then I look at their replacements in Bunny Shaw and Hasegawa, it is either the best stroke of fortune I've ever seen to be able to replace those sorts of players and have this much success straight away or it is the research and the and the background checks that have gone into these players and how they would fit into the system was just phenomenal you know it's been faultless they have managed to just do that and fill those gaps let's remind ourselves as well this is Caroline Weir that midfield got decimated Caroline Weir Georgia Stanway I can't quite believe you know, the the resurgence and renaissance, it feels, that Laura Coombs is having in this team as well at the moment. She's now got um, a Lioness's call-up off the back of it a couple of times with Serena. But yeah, there is just a way that they've managed to plug the gap, which I think needs huge recognition. I think if any other team in the league did this, if it was Emma, if it was Mark Skinner, even if it was Jonas, you know, he's had his own tests and having to use versatile play players this season but I think they'd be getting so much more credit so yes you're right I don't think Gareth Taylor gets enough because whether he's involved with uh, how much he's involved in the recruitment or not Chloe he's he's had to mold them into a team yeah 100% I think um, I've always looked at Taylor as being a little bit um, of an unknown quantity I think we sort of saw a Manchester City side last season go through a very 
similar spell to this season where they kind of started the league very slowly, got a couple of um, you know losses under their belt. It looked like a bit of a drab season, had loads of injuries in January, came back and, and sort of had this, again, this resurgence uh, towards the end of the season and finally securing that, that Champions League spot. But, I mean, Taylor's always been very confident in his own ability and his own side, but it's not a confidence that anyone else has or that a lot of people have really shared. But, I mean, back in December, he was saying, you know, he was insisting that Man City could, could win the league if they won all their games in the second half of the season they're now on six wins and a draw um, just taken down Chelsea which I think was a little bit unexpected um, and they've got this obviously this massive weapon with with Bunny Shaw you know on, on contention now to, to be top goal scorer for, for this year and and like Lindsay was saying I mean they have had to overcome quite a lot of difficulties with you know injuries last year but also you know yeah, a decimated midfield but you know credit to him for, for, for putting it back and now you know being a very big strong contender for, for the title this year so yeah, I think, um, do you know what? I'm sorry, Gareth Taylor. I gave you a lot of hard stick before and actually I should have reined it in. All right, credit to you. Um, now I'm going to try again here, Charlotte, even though you poo-pooed uh, Carl on the best attacking sub uh, in the WSL. So I'm going to go with, will, could, should Bunny Shaw win player of the season in the WSL? Again, good question. A player of the season... <laughs> Why not? Player of the season for Manchester City, absolutely. Leading the golden boot race uh, ahead of Rachel Daly. So, yeah, she's definitely up there, a real contender. And I think we, we always talk about uh, Bunny Shaw's physical presence, her strength, her power at six foot. Um, but it's actually the, her movement is so good for such a tall player. Um, a really delicate touch. Uh, and the way that she uses her hips to get away from pressure and turn players um, is is really impressive. We know, we knew coming into the league that um, she'd be a goal scorer because she ripped the French league apart. But we didn't know how effective she would be against the big sides. And okay, she didn't score against uh, Chelsea at the weekend, but she still affected play. And that's um, credit to her for bringing in the wide players such as Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly as well. Um, we will talk uh, Chelsea and Arsenal next on uh, the Athletic Football Pod. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Right, we'll move on to Chelsea next. Despite all of this praise for, for both Manchester clubs, and we'll come on to Arsenal in a moment, 
Do you still expect Chelsea to win it, Lindsay? I do, actually. I still do. And I'm saying this... Why why have I been hyping this up for the last 20? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying this, speaking to you ahead of them going to Aston Villa, and I think this is the key game this weekend in the calendar. I think if they lose back-to-back matches, that would be effectively feeling like their game in hand. I know the official game in hand for them is the Liverpool game, but I think if they lose back-to-back matches, then it's wide open. If they win and they beat Aston Villa, which I believe they probably will do at the weekend, then I know that Chelsea have that ability to just click into winning mode and go from game to game until the end of the season. They've got over that finishing line so many times before that they know how to do it when everybody else may just have a wobble. So that's why they are my favourites. It's not to deny, Chappers, that it is very tight. I think it's going to be right down to the wire. A few weeks ago, I was saying that Chelsea would win with a with a match round to spare, and I'm not saying that anymore. Are they, are they wobbling, Chloe? I think they are. Yeah, I think Emma Hayes, you know, she bangs on about, you know, Chelsea being these mentality monsters. But I do actually think there's been uh, a bit of a scare for them, I think, with that that Man City um, loss. And I think Lindsay's completely right. I think Aston Villa have they're, they're kind of disruptors for, for this year. And, and um, this next game, I think Chelsea are going to be feeling, obviously, the pressure. I mean, they're now spending sort of large parts of this back end of the season sort of looking up in the table, which isn't something that Chelsea are really that used to. And normally maybe, you know, they're second to Arsenal or second to, to Man City. or But now they've got three other horses in, in the race that they've got to be looking up against um I know you know they 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 do have the the added disadvantage this year of obviously being still part of the the Champions League if they then progress they've got those uh the, the two games coming up in in April and you know we've already seen Emma Hayes saying how sluggish they can look when the Champions League fixtures are involved and so close to, to the WSL fixtures as well and you know they do have those injuries there so I think with the injuries and the scheduling players being a little bit tired uh, coming towards the end of the season having the additional competitors I do think this is a a, a a much more challenging year for, for Chelsea than, than we've seen before do I think they've still got the best chance of probably winning the league yes but do I think this is a, this is where they could slip up 100% do you think the league cup final uh, affected them Charlotte uh, and that defeat I mean they then weren't great against Manchester United I, I mean they beat United but they weren't brilliant against United and then they've lost to City. Did, did the League Cup final affect them? That was definitely a turning point and a shock, really. And Emma Hayes did not hold back in the criticism of her players. She just said, complacent, weren't good enough. There was what not one single performance from our players today just didn't turn up. And especially, what's really interesting is playing teams in a short period of time afterwards. So Chelsea played Arsenal, beat them 2-0 and then played them in the Conti Cup. And also Manchester City lost against Arsenal and then beat them in the league a couple of days later. And there, with the Conti Cup, Adeval knew, he knew the pattern. He'd recognised the pattern and learned from their mistakes And so he just did the same thing and said, you know, if we do this and do that uh, in terms of movement and press, then we've got them. And Hayes' tactical decisions were criticised there, especially when she made so many changes in the Conti Cup final. Fast forward to 
Manchester United, again, got back 1-0. Wasn't a great performance. Michael Cox wrote a piece on one-dimensional Chelsea, ball in Sam Kerr, but it worked. Sam Kerr with a brilliant goal. Uh, and then the Champions League with Leon, okay, a great, not a great performance, but managed to secure the 1-0 away win, which was huge. And then you lose against City and Emma Hay says, it's mine, my fault. I take the responsibility for this one. They're human beings. So it seems a tricky narrative to follow. Sometimes your players, they're just not good enough. Other times it's fatigue. Before the match against Leon, it's these games are great. Just one big game after the other will use the momentum. That's fantastic. Lose against City and it's a, oh, you know, these Champions League games, it really takes that out of you. Is she under scrutiny? Is she under scrutiny then? Given given the contradictions that you've mentioned there, do you think this is a, this is a real big time for her? I think it is. I think Emma Hayes has always said that she wants to win the Champions League, but she's also always said the league is her bread and butter. And she's having to juggle both. And especially those that 37th minute substitution where she brought off Lauren James, that was telling. Was that because Lauren James was tired and we got to save her for the Champions League? Was it a statement to Lauren James herself? But if it was for the Champions League, does that mean that she's prioritising the Champions League over the league? Now, I don't think that's the case because Emma Hayes knows how important it is to be consistent in the league and that league run. But we've also seen Chelsea, I think this year would have been, still could be the best time for Chelsea to dominate in the Champions League considering Leon's frailties. And, you know, Emma Hayes was said to be delighted when they got the draw because kind of to be the best, you have to beat the best. And that was is what Leon is with their Champions League record. But yeah, it is a crunch time for Emma Hayes. Talk about big games that keep coming. If you If you switch to Arsenal... Chloe, we're recording this before they play Bayern. Then they've got Manchester City. Then they play Manchester United. And we've already mentioned that 21st of May uh, against Chelsea in their in their penultimate match. Given their fixture list, given their, their, who knows whether they'll still be in the Champions League or not, do you think they can maintain the pace? I would like to think so. I think um, Arsenal definitely have the win between their sails at the moment. I think obviously buoyed by the fact that they've uh, you know claimed uh, the first bit of silverware in a while. Idevel's obviously singing singing their praises in that respect. Um, you know, I think they have started to become a very consistent uh, consistent side, and I think. One of the things that have obviously seemed to work on is their goal scoring ability. I think obviously off the back of the weekend, you know, scoring a large quantity of goals at the same weekend that, that Chelsea suffer suffer a defeat against Man City, I think has only gonna boosted their confidence. Yes, they've got the same difficulties that Chelsea do with the uh, the Champions League fixtures. It's it's not going to be easy for them. I think I was working out that if they do progress in the uh into the semi final of the Champions League, those fixtures will be played on the twenty second and twenty ninth of April. So they could be facing, you know, either Barcelona so Wolfsburg, PSG in the same week as the Man United fixture, which is obviously going to be tough, but they do have a lot of depth in their squad now. I think, 
you know, there was a lot of concerns about the fact that, you know, in so much narrative around Mead, Meadmar, how is that going to affect their their title chances this year? But I, I don't think it, I, I think we're over that debate now. I think when you kind of look at the firepower that they do and the consistency and form that, you know, some of their forwards are, are now are now picking up. I mean, Blackstinius, Ford, Little, uh, McCabe, the list goes on really with, uh, you know, people who are there to, to um to sit on the score sheet. So, yeah, I don't really have a lot of concerns about Arsenal being consistent um, for the end of the season. Even though we're even though we're over that debate, Lindsay, are, are you still surprised, given those injuries, that they are where they are? Yes. I, I think if Mead and Miedemar were fit all of this season, then Arsenal would be on for the title right now. And I think as it is, we'll be talking about whether they can finish in the top three. What has impressed me, and I, I did speak to Jonas Eideval about this at the weekend for Sky, and it, and it, I called it a happy accident, which perhaps is a bit clumsy in terms of language because no one likes to see players get injured. But I just think that because he has been forced into making some tough decisions, it's meant that he's had to play players out of position and he's accidentally fallen on players being so versatile that it means that they've had so much success, whether it's McCabe going to full back, whether she plays up front. We've seen Leah Williamson play at centre-back, but also play in midfield. Frieda Marnham is another versatile player that's been played in all different positions up front and in midfield. So I think that versatility that he's now discovered from his players is what is getting them through. But they are missing, for me, that bit of X factor that Mida Miedemar provided. Um, just a final one on on Arsenal, Charlotte. I was with um, was doing some work with Jen Beatty a couple of weeks ago when she described herself to me on air as the Rob Holding of the of the women's team, <laughs> um, uh, which I did try and tell her it is a compliment. But the fact that the men are going for the title as well, and that the, these two teams are probably the closest in the men's women. The, the environment is there for both the men and the women, and they obviously work together and have a good working relationship with each other do you sense they could sort of inspire each other over the coming couple of months I don't see why not you know you have lifelong Arsenal fans in the squad with Leah Williamson and Lotta Weaver-Moy we've seen the synergy between the clubs several examples that Art de Roche has written about in terms of Arteta signing his contract extension at the same time as Jonas Edeval, um and the synergy between the two sides. You see the women's players watching the men's and going to the stadium and also um, with Mead's ACL recovery as well and rehabilitation, talking to Rob Holding. Um, so yeah, that I mean, it can only benefit them if they see each other doing well. One thing I do want to add is Steph Catley's injury could be a blow to Arsenal and that, that moves Katie McCabe at, at left back and we're already missing Mead on the right wing but for Arsenal the key to them is Leah Volti in that deep lying midfield role and, and Kim Little as well that is their core and the heart and, and if you're talking about Arsenal then kind of Kim Little represents all the values of Arsenal there. I just want to end with a with a technical question, Lindsay. How many teams' chances are going to be knackered by Aston Villa? I think they'll have a huge say in where the title goes this season. Um, they play three of the top five teams in these final games. And in fact, for Chelsea this week, it is going to be a huge test because they've got this massive game at Stamford Bridge, the return leg in the Champions League against Lyon, and they're away 
at Aston Villa um, on Sunday after that. So I think really you look at Carla Ward's side and they have their own very, they've got their own mission of wanting to probably try and finish fourth or as high as they can. But the points that they take off from those above them is going to really dictate where the title lands this season. And if you look at City, they haven't got any other distractions. They they don't have any other competitions they're playing in at the moment. That's to their advantage. And Chelsea, along with them, have fewer games against top five clubs coming up. So they've got two. Man United have got three games against top clubs and Arsenal have got four. So I think all that comes into play. All right, then we'll see what Carl Ward's team do over the coming weeks. Um, do you want to end with predictions? Yeah, the predictions are a lot easier to do when it's for a title. I, I always think relegation predictions are the worst, and they're the ones that get people the most amount of sticks. So at least, at least title ones are a bit happier. You can do head and heart if you want, Charlotte. And as you looked full of despair when I even suggested this, you could go first. Let's get it over <laughs> and done with. Well, I have to be consistent. So I've had a friendly bet with Chloe and I said Chelsea to win. I said on the Women's Football Podcast, Chelsea to win. So Chelsea to still win the title. What's the bet? 20 quid. Yeah, it wasn't a friendly bet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chloe, you can do head and heart. Um, I think my head is saying Chelsea, my heart is saying Man United. I just think it would just be a breath of fresh air to have a uh, a new title champion. Yeah. And Lindsay? I, at this moment in time, I'm going to say Chelsea, City, United, Arsenal. Uh, in that order. God, that raised, um, raised the stakes there. You did, yeah, did I've gone four. for all four. Wow. Yeah. But I do think that this game against Aston Villa, I, I could be eating these words this time next week. But I, I just have a feeling that Chelsea will get it done. And, and the whole point of doing predictions I, I, is just to play them back at some point. That's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not within a week. <laughs> I, I know. I know many pundits and reporters who change their minds on a weekly basis. Don't don't worry about that, Lindsay. Wait, Mark, are you going to be doing your predictions for the title? Absolutely. Head and heart is Manchester United, Chloe. Obviously, Manchester United. I, okay, yeah, okay. I, just but just because. So as I say, it's just unusual to to find United in an underdog situation. So I will always I will always go that way, Chloe. Uh, right, thank you very much to all three of you. Uh, you can hear Lindsay and the rest of the team uh, every week on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, and you can read Charlotte's uh, work, amongst others, on the website. Uh, you can head to theathletic.com slash football pod for the latest offer of £1 a month for 12 months. Uh, that's it. More tomorrow. Goodbye. The Athletic.